Take your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26, and uh, go down to verse 4, very familiar passage for most. Paul talking to Agrippa, King Agrippa. Oh, let's go from verse 2. King Agrippa, are you ready? King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they're willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it's because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced, verse 9, that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys... I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests about noon, King Agrippa. I was on the road and I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision of heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all of Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent, turn to God, and demonstrate the repentance by their deeds. 
That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here to testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what our prophets and Moses said would happen. That a Messiah would suffer. That the Messiah would suffer and and the first to rise from the dead and would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. It is at this point Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning has driven you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things. I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped your notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that you not only were that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. The king rose with the governor and Bernice, those sitting with him. They left the room and they began to say to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves imprisonment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you've done today and yesterday, all weekend, not just here, but in the body of Christ. I pray, God, as I communicate that you would anoint these words from these lips of clay, that each and every boy and girl, every man, woman, and child, all those under the sound of my voice on Facebook Live, those listening over the web stream, would have indeed their eyes open to the glorious truth of your resurrection, would be inspired, would be encouraged, that you'd release faith, take a coal from your altar, place it upon my lips that as I preach and as I speak, that it would burn faith in all of our hearts. And we thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. We do have some notes for you. Has anyone ever said to you, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe? Have you ever heard that before? It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe. That's a bunch of nonsense. It's not even true, and I would venture to say you don't believe. Yes, I know you don't believe it. Let me prove you don't believe it from C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. If you haven't read that book, it's worth reading. He talks about how we don't believe that whatever somebody believes is fine for them. And he uses an illustration of a man with boiling water having the belief that if he took the boiling water and poured it into your lap, that that would be something that he would be thinking that is good. You would not agree with that. No, people insulate themselves from the truth by just saying, well, as long as you believe. So we didn't get into some argument because most people don't want to be pinned down on what the truth is. Paul's a man who believed passionately Uh, but he was uh, wrong. He believed passionately. He wasn't entirely wrong. He believed passionately. He was only partially right. He didn't understand the fullness of it. He believed in the Messiah. He just didn't know that Jesus was him. And so he's passionately persecuting the church. 
Anybody else know someone who's passionately and passionately incorrect? They ride around on bicycles in different parts of the nation. Wear name tags, very respectful, very sincere, sincerely deceived. I'm just saying that, a, that an angel called moron or whatever it is didn't come with a pair of special glasses. You know, where are the glasses? Oh, they're not here. Where were the special tablets? Well, they don't exist. They're special. Only one person saw it. Yeah, no. The Bible that you're reading can be backed up by historical evidence, archaeology, manuscripts that are so close to the original you're holding in your hand or in the device, the most accurate historical document that exists. And if you don't believe that, like if you just think I'm blowing smoke or trying to just like hype you up or something, read F.F. Bruce's book on the pages and the parchments. Go, go, do, go, go study textual criticism instead of be a pseudo-intellectual pseudo that would just say what he just said is not true. He's just saying that. No, because I'm not just saying that because what I just said actually is true. And if you'll study and you'll really study and you really want to find out why what you hold is the word of God, you'll have your mind blown. And your faith will go deep, as did every scholar that tried to disprove the word. The fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures, this resurrection of Jesus changed everything for Paul. It changed everything for me. It changed everything for the disciples. It changed everything. This morning I talked a little bit about how the, the, the apostles all died martyrs' deaths. All of them. And uh, a little book that I think that every Christian should have in their library is Fox's Books of Martyrs. Amen. And next time you're struggling, just pull that, that puppy out and read a few chapters and start repenting for being so weak. And ask God to empower you. It's not that we don't suffer. Of course we do. We struggle. But sometimes, you know, we don't see things clearly. I remember, Pastor Kirsten, you'll love this, uh, Dr. Morocco, our, our pastor, our senior pastor, I was going through a hard time in an extension, and uh, I think somebody cut me off because I had a Christian bumper sticker or something. I forget what it was. It was something really overwhelming. And uh, I called him to get some encouragement and uh, spoke to him today, by the way, and he sends his love, and he's rejoicing with us as we've had a tremendous weekend of victory. And so I started telling him what was going on and, you know, how everybody hates me or something. I, I don't know what it was. A long time ago in the early years of being a pastor. And he said, Pastor Daniel. I said, yeah. He said, nobody's trying to burn you at the stake, are they? I said, no. He said, okay, okay. It's not that bad then. I'm like, okay. He said, no, no, have, have, you, have you resisted to the point of shedding blood yet? I said, what? <laughs> have you resisted to the point of shedding blood? I said, no. He said, oh, come on. It's going to be all right. Let me pray for you. <laughs> I said, let's put things in perspective. All of, the, all of the disciples, all of the apostles, all of the apostles died martyrs. That's except John, John on the island of Patmos died at, 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 a, at an old age, but he was boiled in oil. Well, how do you get boiled in oil? What do you mean boiled in oil? I'm telling you, a giant vat of oil, they boil the oil, they take the apostle, and they make an apostle fry, but it didn't work. He did. How do you not die when you're boiled in oil? Simple. God. God protected him. 
But the fulfillment of those Old Testament scriptures, you know, Jesus was the suffering Messiah, right, in your notes if you have them, in Isaiah 53, 12. The first to rise from the dead, becoming a source of salvation and blessing. The fulfillment of those Old Testament scriptures like Hosea chapter 6, a little bit of an obscure one for some, verse 1. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has stricken us, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. Isaiah 25 and verse 8. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all their faces. Psalm 16 verse 10. Because you will not abandon me to see the grave nor will you let your Holy One see decay. There's others in Scripture that were signals of and types of the resurrection. I would uh, like to effect, effectively uh, blow your mind right now uh, with the Word. And uh, I had the great joy of preaching to our youth, so I'm going to just deviate for a moment from the main text that we're looking at. And I want you to go, please, to Genesis chapter 5. And Genesis chapter 5 is so profound in the first 10 generations, from Ad, the 10 generations from Adam to Noah. And I just want to show you for just, just a moment to blow your mind. You see, because there's many that say, well, oh, man wrote the Bible. No, man didn't write the Bible. Man wrote it under the inspiration of the breath of God as he moved them along. Three different continents and how many different authors from, from kings to paupers and farmers and everything in between. In Genesis chapter 5, would you put that up? Genesis chapter 5 and, and verse 1. This is a written account. If you're all there, listen, you're going to want to write this down. I mean, how often do I say that? And every time I've shared this, which has probably been about four times, three or four times over the years, I have people go text me and say, can you please send me your notes? And I'm like, yeah. But I'm just telling you, write it down. Okay. And I'll tell you what to write down. This is a written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. Verse 2, we're going to go through a whole bunch of these verses. He created them male and female. How did he create them? Male and female. And blessed them and named them mankind. And they were created. Next verse. When Adam and lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth, stop. Write Adam. So you just write Adam on the top of the page. Under that, under that put his son, Seth. Seth. S-E-T-H. He had Seth. Go to the next verse. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Verse 5. Altogether, Adam lived a total of 900. He was old. 930 years, and then he... And then he died. Next verse. Verse 7. After he became the father of Enosh, right? Enosh under Seth. Everybody following me? 
Don't tell, I'm telling you, take notes. You're going to want to write it down. I'm not just like trying to tell you to take notes. I'm going to take notes. You're going to want to write this down. Enosh. Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Verse 8. Altogether, Seth lived a total of 912 years. Then he? That's right. Come on, the youth. Where are you at? What's up? All right, good. Verse 10. After he became the father of? What are you guys afraid to pronounce it? Kenan. Enosh lived 815 years. He had other sons and daughters. So you want to write under Enosh. What do you want to write? Exactly. Very good. Next verse. Verse 11. Altogether, Enosh lived a total uh, of 905 years. And then he? Oh, come on. Verse 12. When? Had lived 70 years and became the father of? Now you got to say this like this. Mahalalal. You're just going to let it jiggle, let it resonate. Mahalalal. You're try it. you got to let your mouth, your lips, you know, just all kind of loose all up in here. You just kind of shake your face. You know, you ready? Ready? Mahalalal. Okay, good. So what do you want to write now? Mahalalal under that, who's the last guy? Thank you. All right, verse 13. After he became the father of? You guys are getting it. Can he live 840 years? He had other sons and daughters. Verse 14. Altogether, lived a total of 910 years, and then he died. When? Had lived 65 years, he became the father of? Jared. Jared, where are you at? He gave me the father of? Jared, what do you want to write under Mahalalal? You want to write Jared. Very good. Next verse, verse 16. You're getting it. Keep practicing. After he became the father of Jared. That was weak. Let's try that again. After he became the father of Jared. Lived 830 years. He had other sons and daughters. Verse 17. Altogether, Mahalalal lived a total of 895 years. Then he. Verse 18. When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enosh. What do you think you want to write down now? Exactly. So you're making a list of names, right? So that the right side is open still. And if you've blown it, well, pray in tongues. Let's go to verse 20. Altogether, Jared lived a total of 962 years and then he died. Verse 22, 21. When Enosh lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. Come on, say with attitude, Methuselah. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, verse 22. After he became the father, by the way, you want to write down Methuselah. Okay. Enoch walked, right? He became the father of Methuselah. Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Verse 23. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Verse 24, Enoch walked faithfully with God, and then he? Oh, he didn't die. This guy didn't die. Yes, he was snatched up. Then God was, he got so close to God, God said, you know what, you're closer to my house than yours. Why don't you just come home? It's a picture and a type of rapture. Because God took him away. So he didn't die. He just got taken away. The Lord's like, oh, yeah. 
Verse 25. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. What do you want to write down? Lamech. Verse 26. After he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years, had other sons and daughters. Verse 27. Altogether, Methuselah lived a total of 969 years, and then he When Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son, verse 29, and he named him Noah. And he said he will comfort us in the labor and painful, so on and so forth. Wow. Okay. Do we have that slide up there? From, we, go, we do. So can we take it from Noah first? I want to go backwards. Now you're going to fill in your notes. Noah's name, my mama named me, they were going to name me David, but felt led to name me Daniel. And really, I am a Daniel David or a David Daniel. I'm a, I'm a worshiping, warring, God is my judge kind of guy. That's what my name means. That's what my name means. My name means God is my judge. That's what Daniel, Daniel means. Do you know what your name means? No. You're, well, where's Easton at? It's a town in the east. That's right. He told us that the other day. What does your name mean? Every, every, every name has meaning. Every name has meaning. Do you know what yours means? Yes, it's Francis, and it means free. Well, that's your middle name. What's your first name? Mary. What's that mean? I'm not bitter. Is that what Mary means? I'm not bitter? Is that what it means? I didn't know that. I'm not bitter either. Praise the Lord. Noah. You know what Noah means? Guess. It's, it's on the screen. <laughs> it means rest or comfort. Going backwards. Next name. Lamech means the despairing. I don't know why you would call your kid the despairing, but, you know, oh, look at little baby despairing. But that's what, what his name is. Lamech means despairing. Next one. You all filling this in? So you want to fill this in now. You're going backwards. Right? Are you okay? Methuselah. Say it. Methuselah, his death shall bring, or his death initiates, is what Methuselah means. Hi, this is my little baby, his death shall bring. Oh, fascinating. Next one. Enosh, what's that mean? Yes, it's on the screen as well. It means teaching. What does it mean? Teaching. Next one. Jared shall come down. Where's Jared? Brother shall come down. What's up? That's what it means. Go to the next one. Are you filling this in? Wait for it. Wait for it. Mahalalal. Let me see it. Mahalalal. You got it. Mahalalal. Means what? The blessed God. That's what Mahalalal means. Next one. Means sorrow. It means sorrow. Another unusual name to name your baby. Next one. Enosh means mortal. What's it mean? Mortal. Next. Seth. What does that mean? Appointed. And Adam means, anybody know? Man. Wait for it now. Take all of that together. Are you ready? The names of the first ten generations of men in the book of Genesis, in chapter 5, when you take them all together, 
and put it all together, it reads this. Man is appointed mortal sorrow. The blessed shall come down, teaching his death brings a despairing rest. Encrypted right in Genesis chapter 5 is the message of Jesus Christ and the resurrection. Right from Genesis. Now you tell me someone just put it together. There's no way. You will see over and over in Scripture, Revelation. Man, Adam, appointed Seth, mortal. The blessed God. It's really the blessed God of the blessing. The blessed God shall come down. Teaching his death initiates or his death brings the despairing rest or comfort. That's amazing. Come on, I think we ought to just lift our hands and praise him for a second. Come on, won't you just thank him? We're living in a time. We're living in a day and an hour of fulfillment of all of Scripture. There were other resurrections and people rising from the dead. They were all signals. Lazarus, the widow of Nain's son. The 12-year-old girl. Paul preached so long that Eutychus fell out of the window. I don't know why you would call somebody Eutychus, but but that was a name, I guess. And so, you know, he fell out of the window because he preached all You thought I preached long. He preached all night. Eutychus fell out of the window, died, went down, raised him up, went back up and had church. Come on. Had <laughs> Had church till the morning. Forget of that hour and 15 minute nonsense. Man. He just went on and on and on. You know, because when you're hungry and you're never going to see someone ever again, you know, that, then that was the case. In 1 Corinthians 15, 17, it talks about the, the resurrection basically is Christianity. And if Christ is not raised from the dead, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who've fallen asleep or those who are dead in Christ are lost. You'll never see them again, he's saying. But that's not the case. He really did rise again from the dead. So look at Paul's testimony quickly now. It's told three times. This is the testimony of the Apostle Paul back to Acts 26, our main text. His testimony is told three times. Acts 9, Acts 21, Acts 22. Here in, in, in Acts 26. And he, and he lived an incredible life of persecuting the church, but he thought he was on fire for Judaism. And Paul sees the resurrection as an objective fact. Verse 13 and 14, his companions heard a voice. So Paul heard a voice, but everybody there heard a voice too. They saw light, but not Jesus. They all fell to the ground, but it's only Paul who the, the, the Lord spoke to specifically. There were eyewitnesses in verse, 1 Corinthians 15 talks about that. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead was not a mass hallucination. That is actually an argument of CP-brained people tried to come up with, well, the reason the people believe in the resurrection is because they're all hallucinating. Now, they weren't hallucinating. Now, they weren't hallucinating. The story's true. I shared this this morning. You're going to write a story in the first century. You're a first century story writer 
You're not going to come up with a woman who's emotional, who got devils broken off of her as your first witness. Why? Because that's not a credible witness. You want to pick some political person who's really trusted maybe, you'd pick them. It's kind of an oxymoron right there. There are some trusted political people. Now the story was true. It's wrong tomb theories, all kinds of theories about why they couldn't find the body. It's the wrong tomb. There's a theory, actually. It's actually a theory. People argue, well, they couldn't find the body of Jesus because they went, and when they went and they looked, it was a wrong tomb. Are you kidding? Are you actually kidding? It's because you've maybe never been to Jerusalem to go look. But it's like obvious. I mean, the, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, there was only one. You know, it's the one where that, that was sealed and it had a Roman guard in front. They didn't go to the other one and make a mistake. Uh, swoon theory. The, the chief evidence of the swoon theory cites this theory that, that Jesus was only on the cross for a relatively short time so that actually the Romans, who were the number one executioners in all of history, made a mistake. And that actually he wasn't dead, he was swooning. I didn't say spooning, I said swooning. Swooning, he's asleep. No, they didn't make a mistake. Romans didn't make a mistake. The resurrection from the dead happened. And this resurrection from the dead and the visitation of Jesus commissioned the apostle Paul. And he sees himself in verse 16 as a servant. He sees him as a witness. We're right in the notes. What was he to do? What was he called to do? To open eyes. I will tell you the problem with our community, the problem with the, the United States of America is most people are blind. Most people have been blinded by the God of this age and they do not see Jesus as who he really is. They see him as a historical figure or a cute little baby in a manger, but they don't see him as a risen savior. They don't see him as the conquering king. They don't see him as, as Lord and certainly don't live life like he's the Lord. And Paul was commissioned by the Lord himself to open eyes. You know what we've been called to do? We've been commissioned to do what? To open eyes. Pastor Kirsten got so encouraged as I was praying before the service. I'm thinking about those 4,000. I'll just call it 4,000. It's a good number. Those 4,000 people that heard you preach and saw our gospel presentation. Really very simple. Very simple, but the gospel is simple. I mean, if you complicate it, you, you know, you've missed it. I mean, it's simple. God beat the devil with two sticks. It's a cross. It's pretty simple. And I was encouraged to, to take note that those 4,000 people are hearing with great clarity the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these beautiful kids, the, the crawlers and the, and the babies and the four and the five-year-olds are hearing the gospel. You know, they might not hear it in their home. They might not. Most of them don't go to church. We all know that. I mean, oh, some of them do, praise God. But they're hearing that. Do you know that's going in? I know you know. It's going in. They will never forget the good news of Jesus Christ. They'll never forget that the resurrection is not about Easter eggs. It's not about the Easter bunny. It's not about a shark that steals your basket or the green man. It's about Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected from the dead. And those seeds went into a generation. And in time, they'll end up all in our church if they stick around here. No, I felt like the Lord told me. Oh, yeah, I'm bringing them all into your church. 
I said, you are, yeah, the, the, the seeds will germinate, and in time, everybody will. No, I know there's other churches. Don't look at me like that weird, and I'm, I'm grateful. There are. But God's going to give us a harvest. We have got to continue to turn the eyes of, of this generation from darkness to light. We've got to do it. They've been blinded, but I'm grateful for, for a, a, a people, a church, who would sacrifice their weekend. It's not really much of a sacrifice. I mean, we didn't shed blood or anything. All we did was serve God and share the good news of Jesus to open eyes, to turn people from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. That's what Paul was called to do. Guess what you're called to do? You're called to do the same thing, to declare light. He was called, verse 18, so that people can be forgiven, that heaven would be their home. Listen, the church, we're here. We're not a, a, a little religious club. We're not here to, to, to be some little religious club. We're, we're here to be the demonstration of God in the earth. His ambassadors, his ministers of reconciliation. We're here to bear one of those burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Our purpose is to see every man, woman, and child to be saved on their way to heaven and becoming a disciple, living and walking in the blessings of God. Sometimes I feel like Moses. I'm just constantly trying to convince people, man, if you just serve God, if you'll just come to church for the love of Jesus, will you just go to church and learn and grow in the Word and get serving? Listen, if you're here and this is your, your Easter service and, and you're here for your Easter service, I'm really glad you're here, but I'm going to try to say something to hook you to get you to come back Wednesday. Why? Because I understand that if you get Jesus big on the inside of you, all your problems will fade away. You'll walk in truth. You'll walk in power. The devil won't be able to afflict you. No depression. No, the arrow that might by, fly by noonday won't harm you. Nothing will harm you. You'll walk in victory, walk in power. This is not some stupid little religious thing that we're doing. I'm not up here straining my vocal cords so that, so that you can be impressed with something. I'm trying to get truth into you. I'm trying to get your eyes open so that you'll know that God really loves you. He's got an amazing plan. That's why we're here. Heaven can be our home. We've got to fulfill the resurrection commission. The resurrection, Jesus rising again from dead commissions every single one of us. We must believe in Christ. I was talking to precious Mary Boyd, who saved over 60 years ago. Am I right? And um, we were talking at our cafe. And... Uh, she was telling me, you know, she was at an Easter dinner or whatever. She said, I got, I got up and I just had to come to church. She said, you know, Pastor, I love church. So here we are. Here we are. You're serving God for 60 years. And you just had to come to church. And I think what I said, I said, yeah, I'm, I said, I'm saved too. Amen. It's the biggest party in town to me. Hallelujah. See, when you begin to think about what, what God has done for you and how you could grow. Do you know many people could have received a miracle tonight, but they didn't come? Now, I'm not getting, listen, there's reasons you could travel and, and do life, but be led by the Spirit. But listen, 
Make church a centerpiece of your life and make serving him something you, not that you have to do, you do it because you, you love him. And if you haven't fallen in love with him like that, he's just waiting for you, for you to open your eyes, for you to serve him with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and strength. And we have to have a desire. I'm right back in the notes. We have to have a desire to see others saved. That's why we do agons. Who in their right mind would do agons? Why would anybody do that? I was talking with, with somebody at, the, at our egg hunt just yesterday. And um, they're a person of influence in our community. And they said, man, you, uh, this has got to be a pretty costly event. I said, yeah, it sure is. I said, wow. And I could, hear, I could hear what he was thinking. Why would you spend all that money on a bunch of Easter eggs? And so I could hear it. He didn't say that because that would have been rude. Like, well, why are you doing it? I mean, that's kind of a weird thing, right? Kind of. I said, you know why we do this? Is so we get every single person saved in this whole valley. Everybody needs Jesus Christ, and that's why we will spend lots of money on stupid little plastic eggs. I didn't say it quite that way. It was nicer. <laughs> so that people would be turned from darkness, from the power of Satan to the power of God. That's why we do what we do. And if you don't have a burden for souls, I'll quote a favorite evangelist of mine so you don't get offended at me. This is going to sting. You might want to fasten your seatbelt, put your seats in the upright lock position. You might, I, sometimes I like just grabbing the seat a little bit and just hold on. You might want to hold on, okay? Forewarned is forearmed. Are you ready? Okay. Here's what an evangelist said. If you don't have a burden for souls and you don't share your faith, you have the devil on you. And he backs it up with saying this, for who in their right mind, you've got to have demonic thinking if you don't share your faith or you don't have a revelation of what hell really is and you don't have a revelation of what you've been saved from. Because if you did, you would not walk past your neighbor every day driving past them and not convince them of the love of Jesus. So if you don't witness, you must have the devil on you. Now, if you're offended, you can let go of your seat. If you're offended, uh, his name's Ivan Taint. He'll be with us in April, and you can tell him all about it when he comes. Okay. But think about that. We have to have a burden. you got to have a desire to see people saved. We must reach the lost at any cost. That's why we're here. we got to see people saved. You must be born again. What was that really big ship that sank? The Titanic, I got it. There was a, uh, a pastor that was floating next to this lady. And she was on a, you know, she had a life preserver holding on to something. And he was drowning. And all he said as he was, he came up six or seven times. And he would come up above the water and say to her, you must be born again. And he'd go under the water. He'd come up. It's a true story. He'd come up and say, you must be saved. Go under. Come back up. Call on the name of Jesus. You must be born again. Like six or seven times. And then he never came back up. And that lady floating there thought about that for hours while they waited to be rescued. And the scriptures that she heard when she was a little girl and different things all began to come to light and she realized she needed to receive Jesus Christ as her personal Lord and Savior. And she prayed a very simple prayer and was born again. 
And she lived an outstanding Christian life. I wish I could have remembered her name now, but had a tremendous impact in missions. She shared about how she got saved the night the Titanic went down by one pastor who just kept saying, that's what we are. Listen, we're all going to die. Just keep saying it. Sound like a broken record sometimes. You must be born again. If you can't remember when you were born again, then you probably weren't. You've got to be born again. Live a life worthy of repentance. I love that. Verse 20. Look at verse 20 with me. So then King Agrippa, I'll take it from verse 19. I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. What vision from heaven? To preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and Judea, and then the Gentiles. I preach, listen now, that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate. Wow. Do what? Demonstrate. Everybody say demonstrate. Demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Don't tell me you're a Christian and you live like the devil. That's not, that's not even consistent with Scripture. Christian is as Christian does, and Christian actually, Christian actually means little Christ. So when, you, when you're born again, what begins to be produced through your deeds, through your actions, through your words, is a life that's changed. So you can say you're a Christian all you want, but if you curse and, and swear and take advantage of people, you're filled with lying and manipulation and lust. You have no problem grieving the Lord, no problem doing the things that you used to do before you were saved. I'd probably say then that you're probably not born again. Because when you get born again, uh, you're different. Now, it's not that you don't struggle at times with things. That's sanctification. Sanctification is, is the daily reckoning of the death and life of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life and dying to yourself and learning to live for Him. Yes, there's things that, 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 that we let go of as we mature in Christ. But there's a wholesale being born, a conversion that takes place. Worship team, please. You saved? <laughs> I believe you are, Mary. I believe you're saved. You don't want to get pride in that. My mama taught me a long time ago. There was this thing that people were like, well, how long are you saved? Oh, I'm saved for 20-something years. How long are you saved? Oh, I've been saved for 50 years. Oh, that's nice. How long are you saved? And it was sort of this pride thing going around. I know none of you have ever done that. And I love what my mama said. She said, you know what I say? I just say today. How long are you saved? Today. I got saved today. Did anybody get saved today? I got saved again today. We're going to receive communion, but before we do, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're not right with God, don't you leave this place on this Easter Sunday evening service. Don't leave this place in that condition. You must be born again. You must receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Just because you went to church or you read the Bible or you, you gave all that you have to the poor, you might, have, you might end up even surrendering your body to the flames. None of those things will save you. Not None of those things will. You must be born again. You must receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And if you've not done that, those of you online, quit playing church. Stop it. Don't play some religious game. you got to be born again. You need God. I need God. We need Him daily, but if you've never repented 
ask Him to forgive you, to come in and really, truly be your Lord and Savior. You've got to do that tonight. Do it tonight. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You say, that's me, Pastor. You're talking to me. You want to be included in this prayer all across this place, those online. You say, that's me, Pastor. Would you lift your hand? Do it right now. God bless you. God bless you. I see that hand. Lift your hand high. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for your honesty. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Praise God. Anybody else? God bless you, young man. Thank you, Jesus. Let's all stand up on our feet. So we're going to pray a simple prayer. Those of you that raised your hand or maybe you didn't, you pray this with all your heart. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be, shall be saved. Come on, pray this with all your heart. And Pastor Vince, if we could have some people at the doors at the end of service with some of those life books that we can hand to folks after we take communion. You take that home. You don't have a home church. You make this your home church. It's a great church. It's a great church, great leaders. It's a healthy place to be. And you'll grow in God. You'll become big and strong. And you'll live the life and life abundant that God intended for you to have. Amen. Let's pray this together. Right out loud. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die in my place, to rise again from the grave for me. Forgive me of all of my sin and come into my life. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Wash me. Cleanse me. And make me new. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, I pray. Fill. Touch. Heal. Bless. Break every chain, every bondage. Fill these with your precious Holy Spirit. Give them a prayer language, God. Deep fellowship with you and a hunger for the Word, a hunger for the things of God. You've turned them today from the power of Satan to the power of God. You've opened eyes. Let them walk in the light as you were in the light, making no provision for the flesh to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ and live the most exhilarating life that we've been intended to live. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, would you put your hands together for God?